Welcome to The Checkup, brought to you by Barry Nilsson's Health Law Team. The Checkup is a series of interviews, case studies and stories with some truly interesting and innovative people from all kinds of backgrounds, lawyers, doctors, authors, cyber experts and more. Together we provide a regular dose of all the latest happenings in healthcare and tackle some of the big issues within the industry. If you'd like to hear more, make sure you subscribe on Podbean or Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to get in touch with our team, head to bnlaw.com.au. Welcome back to The Checkup. I'm Sarah Hull. Hi, everyone. I'm Gillian Shepherd, and we're both solicitors in Barry Nielsen's insurance and health law team. Today, Sarah and I will be exploring the world of badly behaved doctors and medical professionals. Think intoxicated scrub nurses, inappropriate relationships with patients, and underqualified specialists. There's no denying that, on a global scale, Australia's healthcare standards are amongst the highest ranking. The majority of care provided by our medical practitioners is safe and effective. With that being said, there are cases where things can very suddenly go disastrously and tragically wrong. A nurse who went to work while drunk and scrubbed up for surgery became aggressive and abusive when approached by other staff who called police. Her blood alcohol reading was 0.26%. A medical practitioner self-diagnosed and self-prescribed eight types of medication in his and his partner's names for personal consumption. A medical practitioner made numerous personal calls and sent text messages to a patient that he had treated for gynaecological issues, as well as for depression and counselling for psychological and marital issues. A dentist who held himself out to be an orthodontist performed complex orthodontic procedures on patients, despite not being properly qualified. A nurse falsifying documents alleging that she had worked as a mental health nurse and provided performance appraisals that had never taken place in an attempt to gain employment. A psychologist in a prison who engaged in a relationship with an inmate she was treating. The psychologist frequently used a pseudonym to disguise her identity when communicating with the prisoner and subsequently lied to conceal the relationship. A midwife who failed to adequately interpret fetal CTG and recognise and respond to urgent situations over a 16-month period. These are doctors and medical professionals who have acted reprehensively, illegally and inappropriately, and as a result, have received appropriate penalties. But there are other circumstances where good doctors have inadvertently been caught up in the wrong situation or have actually done nothing wrong at all. So with this in mind, today Gillian and I will be sharing some case studies from both ends of the spectrum. We will also provide some tips for any medical professionals out there who might be facing a professional complaint. So when it comes to extreme cases of doctors behaving badly, I can't think of a better example than a recent matter in Adelaide. Dr Holder was reported to APRA by a pharmacist who was concerned that he was overprescribing benzodiazepines and painkillers to a group of Aboriginal women from Port Lincoln. APRA's investigation revealed a significant pattern of overprescribing, not just to that group of women, but to other patients as well. As a result, limitations were placed on his ability to prescribe those medications, not unsurprisingly. 
Dr Holder was not happy, to say the least. He hired a private investigator to find the pharmacist. Now, this is where things get a little bit scary. Dr Holder visited the pharmacist who had reported him at the pharmacy where she worked with some presents, and I use that term loosely. He brought with him a bunch of carnations and a knife. As Dr Holder handed the pharmacist the flowers, he pulled out the knife and struck her with it. Thankfully, the pharmacist was able to grab Dr Holder's arm and prevent the knife from cutting her. Police later found Dr Holder unconscious in his hotel room. He was found guilty of attempted murder and sentenced to 15 years imprisonment with a non-parole period of 10 years. Yes, that's definitely one of the most shocking stories I've heard. And of course, we've all been left horrified by the media's reports of cases where medical professionals have acted in a way that fails to meet the high standards expected by the community and abuses their positions of trust. You've probably all heard of Dr Graham Reeves, dubbed the Butcher of Bega. He was a gynaecologist in New South Wales who was found guilty of inflicting bodily harm on his patients by performing operations to surgically remove parts of their genitalia without their consent. And you've probably heard of Dr Jayant Patel, dubbed Dr Death. He was prosecuted after allegations arose of at least 13 deaths that appeared to be linked to his negligence. There have also been a frightening number of reports of nurses and nursing assistants who have been caught abusing elderly patients. For example, Geoffrey Smithson, a nurse in South Australia who stomped on the bare foot of an Alzheimer's patient, and Dana Gray, a nursing assistant in New South Wales who assaulted an 85-year-old patient with dementia, and tragically, Roger Dean, a nurse in New South Wales who murdered 11 elderly residents by setting fire to a nursing home facility in an attempt to hide his theft of painkillers from that facility. Gosh, Sarah, you picked some pretty scary examples there for us to think about. Now, in a perfect world, we would be 100% satisfied every time we sought treatment or advice from a health professional. Unfortunately, that's not the reality. The reality is that all professionals, including medical professionals, make mistakes. Those mistakes can range from unprofessional behaviour to incompetence, to a momentary lapse in judgement leading to a poor decision. So we've looked at some examples of badly behaved doctors and medical malpractice from the most extreme end of the scale. But what about when a medical professional's negligence is a result of one or a series of inadvertent mistakes? Or the error arises from or is compounded by the circumstances the practitioner finds themselves in? A case that rang alarm bells for doctors all around the world involved a six-year-old patient named Jack Adcock. Jack had Down syndrome and he'd successfully been through several heart surgeries in the past. He presented at Leicester Royal Hospital on the 18th of February 2011. Dr Hadiza Bauer-Gaba was a junior doctor specialising in paediatrics and had recently returned to practice after 14 months of maternity leave. At the end of that day, Jack had tragically died and Dr Bauer-Garber's career was in jeopardy. Now, Jack was clearly unwell when he arrived at the hospital. He was appropriately treated by Dr Bauer-Garber with IV fluids and antibiotics and initially showed some improvement. Jack was initially treated for acute gastroenteritis and dehydration. He was, in fact, suffering from pneumonia. The pneumonia caused his body to go into septic shock, which resulted in organ failure. Tragically, he arrested a few hours after arriving at the hospital. 
It was Dr Balgarva's first day in an acute setting since returning to work from her maternity leave. The computers were down, which meant that vital blood results were not available for several hours and only then by telephone call. In addition, another staff member was off work sick, meaning that Dr Balgarva was doing the work of three people. Her supervising consultant, who was admittedly 30 minutes away, chose not to come to see Jack despite being told of the troubling blood results. After Jack died, Dr Balgarva wrote a personal reflection. Almost three years later, in December 2014, Dr Balgarva was charged with negligent manslaughter. It was initially reported that the personal reflection she wrote was used against her in the criminal proceedings. Thankfully, it has since been confirmed that that was not the case. Dr Balgarba was convicted by a jury of manslaughter by gross negligence in 2015 and given a two-year suspended jail sentence. She was then suspended for 12 months by the Medical Practitioners Tribunal, who felt that having her removed from the register would be a disproportionate penalty. The General Medical Council, which is the British version of APRA, appealed to the High Court and Dr Balgarba was struck off the medical register. When the tribunal recommended that Dr Balgarba be suspended for 12 months, she had been practising safely for the four years since the incident. The tribunal found that although the doctor's clinical failings were serious, they had been remedied, leaving a very low risk of future harm. In August 2018, three senior judges in the Court of Appeal quashed the decision to have Dr Balgarba struck off and restored the initial 12-month suspension subject to review. It was noted by the Court of Appeal that the tribunal was tasked with protecting the public and deciding an appropriate sanction to meet that objective. The tribunal was entitled to take into account specific failures in the hospital, as well as personal mitigating factors on the part of Dr Balgarba. In addition to Dr Balgarba, a nurse was also found guilty of manslaughter and was struck off. Now, it was accepted that there were very serious errors made in Jack's care, but there were also systemic failures and pressures which contributed to his death. Dr Balagaba had had an excellent record up until that day. At all times, she was honest about the errors that she made. Despite a painful seven-year journey through the courts, after the Court of Appeal handed down its decision, she said that she hoped the decision would in some way improve working conditions of many junior doctors. Now let's think about it. How would many of us survive the microscopic scrutiny of our actions on one of our less successful days when things could or should have gone better? Doctors work with the daily risk of tragedy, which can happen despite many years of doing their best. The most important outcome from these tragic events must be to minimise the risk of them reoccurring. This can be achieved by creating a just culture where learning from errors is seen as a top priority. Unfortunately, many medical professionals work in fear of a complaint being made. Patients are encouraged to complain, and it's very easy for them to do so. However, blame never advances patient safety. In this case, just two individuals were convicted and penalised, yet over 70 actions had to be taken by the Leicester Royal Hospital staff to ensure better treatment for sick children. That's right, Gillian. Most practitioners can feel confident that they would never act in a way that would deliberately harm patients or abuse their positions of trust. However, 
Many practitioners are concerned that a simple error or misunderstanding could lead to a complaint that could end their career. If you are a health practitioner and receive a notification of a complaint from a board, it is important to know that the board deal with so much more than health practitioners behaving badly. They are tasked with the job of ensuring that the community has access to a safe health workforce in Australia. Public safety is always APRA's and the board's first priority. During the 2017-2018 financial year, there were more than 700,000 registered health practitioners working across 15 health professions in Australia. There are also currently about 160,000 registered students working towards entering the registered health workforce. In that same financial year, almost 11,000 practitioners had notifications made against them regarding their performance, suitability and health. That's about 1.6% of Australia's health practitioner workforce. We know that the media reports the most sensational examples of health professionals behaving badly. However, the vast majority of complaints made against professionals do not relate to issues that generally raise scrutiny or commentary in the media. During the 2017-2018 financial year, complaints against practitioners related to issues including Clinical care made up 41%. Medication made up 12.6%. Health impairment made up 8.9%. Communication made up 6.4%. Documentation made up 4.9%. Behaviour made up 6.3%. Boundary violations made up 4.1%. Offences against another law made up 3.2%. A national law breach made up 2.5%, confidentiality made up 2.3%, and statutory offences, including advertising-related complaints, restricted practices complaints, title production complaints, and falsely claiming to be a registered health practitioner, made up 7.7% of complaints. So when you think about it, 1.6% isn't very high. Also, those figures you quoted, Sarah, suggest that not many doctors behave very badly. So what do you do if you're a healthcare professional and a complaint is made against you? There are a few things to remember. The first thing is don't panic. It's not the end of your career. Patients have a right to raise concerns, and indeed, in the world that we live in, they're somewhat encouraged to. Boards also have a statutory obligation to conduct an investigation when a complaint is made. You might be interested to know that in the last financial year, 72% of matters were closed, with no further action being taken. 12% had a caution or reprimand imposed. Another 12% had conditions imposed or undertakings agreed. 3% of matters were referred to another entity, and only 1% of practitioners either voluntarily suspended their registration or had their registration cancelled or suspended. Now, if you think a complaint is going to be made against you, seek some assistance, contact your broker, contact your insurer and get some advice. Alternatively, if you receive a notification, the first thing you should do is seek early assistance. Not only will it assist you in responding to the complaint, it is also useful to have a support person with you there guiding you through what can be somewhat a very difficult process. Absolutely, Gillian. Seeking assistance early is key. So while there are absolutely some terrifying and tragic examples of health professionals behaving badly, 
the vast majority in Australia work safely and effectively. The disciplinary process is a necessary evil to deal with some of the health professionals that we have spoken about today. As for other health professionals, the disciplinary process can feel unfair and stressful. As Gillian said, if you are a health professional and you need assistance during the disciplinary process, please seek assistance. A big thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Checkup. We hope you found it interesting. Make sure you're subscribed and stay tuned for the next episode. And if you'd like to know more or you have any questions for the BN team, just head to bnlaw.com.au. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.